0: but it's always about how do we create and amplify what's already happening in this region, how do we spread out that community capital, and how do we create on-ramps for other organizations to step up into these ecosystem-building roles so then the ecosystem in its full potential thrives rather than just trying to hold on to our power.
1: Welcome to Ecosystems for Change. In this podcast, you will meet ecosystem builders from all around the world who share their tactics and practices for transforming their communities through the power of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Annika Horn. Welcome to the show. In today's episode, we are headed to Stanton, Virginia to talk to Debbie Irwin about how she became an entrepreneurial ecosystem builder. With her background in digital marketing and a deep-seated passion for rural communities, Debbie became Executive Director of the Shenandoah Community Capital Fund in 2019. As you learn in this episode, the term community capital is about a lot more than just investing money. In our conversation, we talked about how important it is to design with your community instead of for them, a frequent pitfall for servant leaders. We also had a chance to dive deeper into what it means to be a convener within the ecosystem without becoming a bottleneck. And Debbie shares her secret for deep listening throughout her ecosystem that spans 143 miles in the western mountains of Virginia. And with that, let's head to Stanton, Virginia. Debbie, this feels like a bit of a cheat question because I have actually been to Stanton and the Shenandoah Valley, but for those listeners here who have not been to the lovely state of Virginia and who have not been in the mountains and the Shenandoah Valley, where would you take them on their first visit to your ecosystem?
0: I love this question, mostly because I never knew I would fall in love with the Shenandoah Valley like I did. Uh, so I'd honestly take you on a journey throughout the entire region, uh, which is 143 miles on the interstate. It's a lot of area to cover, but I think I'd start in Harrisonburg, which is where I did my college time at James Madison. So there's a beautiful shop in downtown Harrisonburg called With Simplicity, and it's natural makeup. And she is the best designer uh, of a storefront I've ever seen. So you walk in, and it's sleek, and it's modern, and there's beautiful makeup everywhere, and she comes out and greets you with this bubbly personality like you'll find all across the region. We tend to be very friendly. Hopefully most of the time real friendly and not fake friendly. Um, We are still Southern. And then I would keep traveling down the region, down into Weir's Cave. There's this place called the Valley Pike Farm Market in Baron Ridge Vineyard. So you can get some great food trucks or local goods from a lot of the farmers in our area. Uh, and then Barron Ridge is my favorite winery. I am a wino all the way. Sorry <laughs> to you beer drinkers. We have a lot of that here. Beer's not my thing. Wine and liquor. And we're having a good time. Uh, and then I take you down to my current town, uh, which is actually my dad's hometown. I swore I would never live in Stanton. Grew up coming to Stanton. I was like, I'm never living here. There's no way. And lo and yep. behold, I've been here six years now. <laughs> um and it's, it's beautiful. We've got a, I'm working in this super innovative space called the Stanton Innovation Hub where there's tons of other businesses, but my favorite restaurant in the region is actually in Stanton. And so I would probably take you to one of my favorites. One is the green room. We'll get another cocktail or drink, you really awesome space to grab that. Maybe go catch a show, the American Shakespeare Center. Um, oh. I've only been a couple times, I'm not a Shakespeare person. But it's live, and they engage the audience, and it's really fun. And then from there, I'd probably take you to my house. Because when you're driving into my house, you have these beautiful mountain scenic views. Uh, and I'm a homebody. Uh, if you had, to like, what's your perfect date, it is literally sitting on my couch with a glass of wine, having a great conversation, <laughs> or on my front porch with the porch swing I just built. But I love the scenic views. So we've tried moving away numerous times and there's something about this region that just draws us in every single time.
1: I can attest to that because those mountain views are spectacular and you, Debbie, get those just stepping out of your front door or taking your kids to school or going to the grocery. Every time you turn around, I'm amazed at just how beautiful those mountains are. So I totally get that. Thank you so much. Debbie, I remember first meeting you I think my first conscious memory is at TomTom Tom Festival in Charlottesville, maybe 2018, 2019? Does that sound right? Yeah, yep. I was living in Toronto at the time and I was down in the States for the festival and met you. And the next time I run into you you're the executive director of the uh, Shenandoah Community Capital Fund, or were you already ED at the time that I met you? You were. I had been been ED for like three months. I was brand spanking new. Right. So that's probably why it hadn't settled in yet. And you have done so much in such a short amount of time. You've worked with small businesses and entrepreneurs. You worked at the Augusta Regional Chamber of Commerce. And now I think for three years, you've been the executive director at the Stanton, I still want to call it Stanton Community Creative Capital. Creative Community Fund. That one, yes. So yep. now it's the <laughs> Shenandoah Community Capital Fund. So what most people don't know is you are not even 30. How, yeah, in the world, <laughs> how in the world did you figure out so early where you want to be making an impact and You got so much relevant experience under your belt. I feel like you lost no time. You knew what you wanted to do and you just went for it. I don't really know where you're going to go next because what you have achieved in the first like career decade, I think other people take several decades to achieve. So where did that insight come from and the dedication to do what you're doing and doing it so well in such a collaborative, large context of the Shenandoah Valley?
0: If there is one thing that everyone knows I love, it's people, even though I complain about people sometimes. But the first thing uh, was my dad. My dad was a marriage and divorce counselor. He worked at a, a Verizon for 41 years. But he had such a way of seeing people for who they really are, uh, not in a negative way, but just holistically seeing them. Uh, I remember about two months ago a friend had approached me who I've known since I was probably eight. He's like, did you know that your dad picked my dad out of a lineup when he was at Verizon and saw his potential and it completely changed the trajectory not only of my family but of my dad's career and that—that that is what I grew up around. That is who changed who I was, my my dad's influence on being able to fully see people and Mm -hmm. fully realize their potential no matter where they were currently at. Um, And so I think I found a passion for people through him. And then my senior year of college, I had just gotten married. I was one of those people that got married really young to my amazing husband. And I couldn't find an elective that fit my schedule because I had to work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and I could only do classes Tuesday, Thursday. So my dean was like, write a senior thesis. I was like, okay, what do I write it on? So I got with my favorite professor at JMU, who's no longer there, uh, but Dr. Van Steenberg. And Dr. Van Steenberg and I wrote a paper on founder syndrome in small and medium enterprises. Um, founder syndrome had been applied to nonprofits, so we were seeing if we could do research around what causes small businesses to fail. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so from that point on, I committed to only ever working in or for small businesses. And then that led me down to Charlottesville and I started doing some work. Um, with some digital marketing companies down there, and then got myself fired from a startup. Oh, um, <laughs> after a month, that was fun, but it was the the learning lesson that I needed to drive me forward to understand my worth, um, and understand that when it's not the right fit, I need to be willing to say that. And so, while I hated them at the time and thought it was such a mean thing, I realized that it was a very formative moment for me. Uh, then got to the chamber. And was like, I like working and advocating for small businesses, but I'm not working as closely with them as I would like to. Mm -hmm. So Chris Kane was like, there's a job open at SCCF. You should look at it. And I was like, Chris, that sounds great. And, you know, I would love your job as executive director of SCCF in like 10 years. Yeah. Put in my mouth. Uh, (laughs) Because lo and behold, a year after starting at SCCF, I became executive director. So it's like, well, that expedited that timeline a little bit. So some of it was right place, right time. Some of it was the amount of influence that my dad and a couple of my formative professors and mentors had on me. Another is it I just genuinely love people and seeing people succeed uh, and seeing them thrive. So that's what makes me feel like I'm succeeding and thriving. So fell into the world of SECF a little bit on accident,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, but it was very much the right place, right time. And then I was introduced to the world of ecosystem building, which then completely changed my world again.
1: Wonderful. And I love what you said about how you view people, because that's certainly something I've experienced with you. And I've been very fortunate to experience that firsthand because SCCF has secured some funding towards the end of 2021. And you've been able to assemble an incredible team with a very different strength very different backgrounds, but I think it is your ability to recognize the potential in people that you've been able to bring this team together and really start this next phase of having SCCF spread out into the Shenandoah Valley and activate so much different types of capital that are already latent and bring that together to really not just put the region on the map, but help the region understand what it's capable of. So I can attest to your view of the world and view of people, which is great. And I'm very excited to be part of that development. For those people out there who hear fund and capital fund, can you explain what in fact the Shenandoah Community Capital Fund does and what the role is in the ecosystem of the Shenandoah Valley?
0: Yeah, definitely. So in our early days, we were Stanton Creative Community Fund uh, and that really focused on the creative community from actors and artists and musicians and then boiled into changing the definition of creative because if you're an entrepreneur you're creative you're problem solving you're tweaking things but for the longest time people still didn't understand what we did and so when we were going through a name change because we were no longer just focusing on stanton we knew people really knew us by sccf talk to anyone in the shendo valley that's worked with us before they call us sccf yeah Uh, so we're like let's keep that acronym So we changed our name to Shenandoah Community Capital Fund and we focused in on community capital for numerous reasons. One, community capital takes on multiple definitions. It's the communities that you build, it's the way people connect, it's the flow of all these different seven forms of capital with a lot of times community and culture being the basis of that. And so fund, while we do send out money through our microloans and through other capital programs, Really, it is about building up community capital and making sure that it is flowing freely throughout the region. So that's what we end up being is we're a convener. Uh, We're a lead convener for the ecosystem. We are not the ecosystem. I want people to know we are never the ecosystem. We are never the ecosystem building organization. We are a convener for it. We are a part of it. And we're definitely a leader in it. Um, But it's always about how do we create and amplify what's already happening in this region how do we spread out that community capital and how do we create on-ramps for other organizations to step up into these ecosystem building roles? So then the ecosystem in its full potential thrives rather than just trying to hold on to our power.
1: This is ecosystem building one-on-one. Oh yeah. I oh, yeah. I feel like I could stop the podcast here because hopefully people have learned everything that there was to learn about <laughs> how you build an ecosystem. Um Debbie, how did, you, how did you come to this conclusion of the fact that you can do this on your own? What was your journey into the world of ecosystem building? When did that switch flip for you to embrace ecosystem building as an approach to supporting entrepreneurs?
0: You mentioned TomTom Tom Festival, and that was actually one of those first experiences where I really started to grasp it. But it starts even a couple of months before that. So I've gotten this random email from uh, emails that were coming in from the predecessor. Mm-hmm. And it was this coffee and conversations in D.C. with Senator Warner and Senator Kane. And I was like, Senators, okay, I'm a woman in Virginia. And it's coffees and conversations with women in the Commonwealth. I should go. Yeah. So I go to this thing. And Chris Kane texts me. She says, Larkin Garvey's there. You need to find her. You need to talk to her. I was mm-hmm. like, who the heck is Larkin Garvey? Okay. So I go and meet this wonderful woman named Larkin Garby. Come to find out she's also from my hometown of Lynchburg, Virginia. Went to my rival high school. Uh, and <laughs> You so, didn't hold that against her. No, I, I, at <laughs> first. And then I was like, no, she, she's good people. She's good people. So her and I ended up spending the entire day in D.C. together. She poured into me. She opened her wealth of knowledge to me. Uh, she introduced me to the world of entrepreneurial ecosystem building. Told me all about SCN. Said, you need to come to TomTom. Tom. There's an ecosystem development track at TomTom. Tom. Come to TomTom. Tom. I was like, okay. So here I am, brand new executive director. My board had given me 30 days to decide whether or not to keep the doors open mm-hmm. or close the organization. We had been in a really rough spot. And I said, you know what? We could do this ecosystem thing. We could we could be builders. Uh, so I went to TomTom and learned a heck of a lot more and met. Lovely people like you and Tom Chapman and Faye and Larkin and dug in even deeper uh, with these amazing individuals who are like, oh, you're new. How about we take you under our wing? (laughs) And that started this deep mentorship relationship. And so it was SCN and then the Center on Rural Innovation and a couple other national organizations and particular people within those organizations that completely changed my thought process and my view. So my life has always been based around the amount of knowledge I can import. Uh, so these mentors were very uh, formidable for me. They were They were the people I needed at the time I needed them.
1: Excellent, that's really the ideal journey of an emerging ecosystem builder to coming here. And just for those of the listeners who don't know, SCN is the Startup Champions Network doing some incredible work for entrepreneurial ecosystem builders here in the US. You mentioned the Center on Rural Innovation, which I think we'll uh, get a chance to talk more about over the course of this podcast. And the other organization, oh, the event was TomTom Festival, right? I wanna give people some names that they can Google and totally geek out on and come and join us at whatever summits and events they're putting on so we can all hang out together. Debbie, I don't know that you can answer this next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Over the course of your time with SCCF, how has the ecosystem changed? What was it like when you started? And to what extent has it evolved and progressed since you took over the reins at SCCF?
0: I think one of the biggest things we've seen is more true collaboration rather than just cooperation. So one of the big things with ecosystems like the Shenandoah Valley is this stuff doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. There's been work happening for the past 20-30 years, whether it's building up the main streets, whether it's building up the SBDCs, whether it's building up the higher ed universities that are engaging in the community. This doesn't happen overnight, but one of the things that has happened, particularly over the past two and a half years, almost three years now, is the communication between those silos. Each of those silos are doing incredible work, uh, but now they're talking to each other. We're exchanging clients, we're exchanging information, we're building coalitions, we're building collaborative grants together, we're funneling money into the organizations that are doing really great work. And so what the biggest thing that I think we've seen is the willingness to change our mindset from scarcity to abundance. There are more entrepreneurs in the Shenandoah Valley than any one organization can help. There are more organizations in the Shenandoah Valley than we originally expected. There's more assets than we expected. The gaps that we see in our ecosystem are more about how to leverage them against each other than we don't have this program here. Uh, And so when we do find those gaps, there's ways that these organizations can partner together to create that rather than one person saying I'm going to own it all or I have to own it all in order to remain relevant yeah so that that collaborative nature has definitely amplified it's not that it wasn't there before but Mm -hmm. we've dug into it deeper Uh, and so I think the biggest change for us is very much so more freely communicating organizations that want to see the region economically and um, personally thrive.
1: I love how how easy you make that sound because I know (laughs) that so many ecosystem builders want to get there, especially that switch from a scarcity mindset of competition and we got to compete for funding and participants and mentors and attention to one of abundance of realizing, hey, we're all in this together in this region. How did you do that?
0: a lot of blood sweat and literal tears
1: <laughs> literal tears
0: literal tears um is it, <laughs> it was a lot of hard conversations mm-hmm. um i keep telling people uh, and this comes from center on real innovation this is something i learned from them building bottom-up specific to the region's needs you cannot take any of SECF's proposals pick them up and just drop them in your region mm-hmm. you've got to really look at how we implemented, why we did what we did, how the conversations that we had. So early on, um, it was not SCCF's intention to be the lead ecosystem convening organization. Mm-hmm. But as we were going through the process of figuring out how do we create better things for our region, I realized that SCCF could step up into that role. Yep. So it was having conversations with those partners of saying, are you comfortable with SCCF stepping into this role? hmm how do we partner together? What do you need out of this conversation? And what do you bring? And so if you don't know why someone's in the room to begin with, it makes it very hard to collaborate with them. Everyone wants to get something out of ecosystem partnerships. That's just the nature of needing to keep your organization sustainable, but also needing to serve people well. And so. If you ever get offended or off by someone saying, hey, I really can't partner with you right now because I need this out of the relationship and you can't bring it, then maybe ecosystem building isn't for you. You've got to understand there's give and get in every conversation. Yeah. Uh, and so there were some hard and heated conversations where I went home and wrote my resignation letter because I just couldn't do it anymore and I just didn't <laughs> oh, understand wow. why they didn't, weren't getting what I was saying. And then I was like, oh, it's because this takes time this takes hard conversations this takes education ecosystem thinking well not new uh, is nuanced and it's hard and it doesn't produce immediate results Um, and it's a lot about quality over quantity and so it's just hard to figure out how this works when we're driven by what i call vanity metrics so how can we get the metrics that we need also benefit each other build better things together I had a a great conversation with one of our partner organizations called Black Men Ventures a couple weeks ago, and they made me realize that it was a language shift that I had maybe three years ago, but I was like, I really want to build with you guys. I know that I can't build anything for you. I don't know your community well enough to say that I can come in and build something for you. So what would you like me to build with you? And I didn't realize how impactful that switch of language from for to with was for a community that's been so often underrepresented. So it's, it's those little things that you take on without realizing, oh, I've had a mental, I've had a mentality shift and didn't even know it. Um, and so really soaking in the impact from those around you has helped us have those hard conversations and figure out how to navigate those very difficult conversations.
1: Hey friends, while I have you here, I wanted to extend a little invitation. Join me over on socialventures.com, my professional home and place of sanity to catch up on the hundreds of conversations I've had with ecosystem builders over the years. You can find out what I'm researching, which events I'm excited about, and how you can work with me. Grab my starter kit for ecosystem builders and join my upcoming masterclass, Ecosystem Building 101, at the end of February 2022. And now, back to the show. One of the things I was really impressed to learn was that you went, and I think we'll do again, on a listening tour around your region to learn about the different communities that your partners were serving, that SCCF wants to serve on a regional level. Tell me a little bit more about what such a listening tour is like, how you go in and what you're hoping to learn.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize how impactful listening tours would be. It just seemed second nature to me of, like, I want to go meet people. Let's go meet people. But then I realized when you're doing it very actively and saying, I would like to bring my staff to your community. Will you tell me about you? People get so excited. And so we went into these conversations being, like, what are your wins? Like, what are you most excited about? If you, like the first question you asked me, if you were to bring someone to your community, where would you take them? What do you want people to know about? And then we got into the what hurdles do you face when trying to get this done and it just let them talk and we always did it over meals Mm -hmm. always broke bread with them there's something so disarming uh, about doing it over a meal Uh, and so you would have these meals with people secf would pay for it and we're like hey just come show us who you are and so then we would just talk well really we'd let them talk Uh, they'd talk about what they're excited about what their entrepreneurs are experiencing The big key, if I were to say, for someone else to do a listening tour around their region, is you've gotta make sure entrepreneurs are in the room. So we made sure that most of the people around the table were entrepreneurs. And then we'd also invite the economic development offices and things like that, those who more actively engage uh, with us on the ecosystem building side. Uh, But being able to hear directly from the entrepreneur and then uh, making sure that whatever they said wasn't going to be taken offensively by the economic development office, but saying, hey, here's a gap that we're experiencing as a person who lives in this town, also helped that economic development office understand, oh, here are some assets that we already have, but we didn't make clear. We didn't communicate. We ended up almost serving as mediators of like, let's open up this conversation. Let's have some hard conversations right now, but also impactful and learning conversations. I learned a lot, even though I've been here forever, Uh, or what feels like forever. I know the region very well, but I continue to learn every time I talk to these individuals. Um, So it's going with an open mind, open heart, and being open to feedback, uh, which made it a most successful listening tour. And we stayed overnight. And we're like, we're going to be here. We're staying in your town. We're generating some dollars for you. But we want you to feel seen and heard. Uh, It's like the most basic human need. Uh, and so if we can give that basic human need to the people we serve, then it's much easier for us to do our jobs effectively.
1: Something else that really blew me away is that a number of organizations that you are working with, especially when it comes to supporting women entrepreneurs and BIPOC, so black indigenous and people of color entrepreneurs in the Shenandoah Valley, so many of those organizations are volunteer run either entirely or in part, which speaks to me to a very big need to put more support behind those demographics. Where does this conversation around equitable entrepreneurial support fall in a Southern traditional state like Virginia? How are you thinking about it? How are you approaching this?
0: I think most of the time we approach it as These are people that also need to be served. So one of the things that we have found is I didn't come up with the ideas to support these communities. Um, I didn't come up with the strategies. It was people from those communities that came to me and said, hey, we really want to make something happen. We know you're pretty good at building collaborations. Will you help? And so with these volunteer organizations, it's saying, oh, gosh, there really is something there. It's that same mindset of I'm going to build with you rather than for you. Yeah. So we really encourage people who have ideas to come to us and pitch us and say, like, how do you want to partner? How can we build this with you? And so if there's one thing that I have learned is that I am not an expert in everything, of course, and it is the communities that are so often underrepresented that we need to go to and say, what are you building? What's already happening? Do you want us to help? And how do you want us to help if you do want us to help? Um, and so what we found through that is this Community Navigator proposal came to life in like a week. Um, I uh, That was a stressful week. Anyway, don't write grants a week before they're due is what I'm going to recommend. Um, <laughs> but we got this $1 million proposal that only 51 organizations were awarded. And it was because we went to what was already happening and said, oh, wait, we can amplify that. Mm-hmm um and so the five organizations that we picked are already actively serving the bipoc and women entrepreneur communities uh, and very very vocal and active through it and we're like those are the best champions like why would we try to build an ecosystem that we don't know anything about when we can go and amplify the ecosystem that already exists for that community so every time there's a volunteer-led initiative it should be paid attention to Because there's probably an element of that that could be formalized and turned into something that could be funded and uh, expand its impact. And so I always pay attention to the grassroots things happening in a region because that's usually where the most innovation sits.
1: Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you, Debbie. You have such a deep insight into this really big area of the Shenandoah Valley. Like you said, 143 miles long um so many communities what are your hopes what's your vision for the area over the coming decade
0: it sounds crazy but i really want an organization like sccf to almost become redundant i want it to grow to the point where we've created so many on-ramps and opportunities for the other great assets to exist that at the end of the day the ecosystem always survives an ecosystem will always survive with and without ecosystem builders in it but it doesn't thrive
1: mm-hmm. so
0: i would hope that this ecosystem thrives to the point where the funding that sccf finds and things like that just comes to a point where it's funneling and creating more investment opportunity um, i want to grow it to the point where i have ecosystem builders on staff but every locality also has an ecosystem builder on staff uh, and that these ecosystem builders are trained Uh, and they know what ecosystem building is, I want to become a thought leader for what can happen in rural America. There's so much opportunity in rural America that is uh, unrealized. There's so much untapped potential. There's investment opportunity. There's incredibly intelligent and innovative people. Uh, And so getting the Shenandoah Valley on the map is a huge goal of mine. Uh, to where people understand that, well, we may not be the next Silicon Valley, which we never want to be.
1: I we're hope our not. own yeah. Shenandoah
0: Valley. like <laughs> We still got really awesome things going on. And so it's really moving us into a point where, yes, I want to always be a convener in the ecosystem, but it's not as pivotal for us to be the center of it.
1: Yeah, excellent. Our common friend Enoch Elwell of CoStarters introduced me to this idea of the vanishing mediator, that our ultimate goal as ecosystem builders is to thrive an ecosystem that doesn't depend on one person or one organization, but that we are really working ourselves out of a job and let the ecosystem rebuild and regenerate itself and fund itself so that it can thrive without us being necessary to conduct we will probably always do it because we love our communities, but it shouldn't rely on, on a personal organization alone.
0: Exactly. And like, that's the feeling I have now with so many staff coming on board, I'm always working myself to redundancy within my own organization right now. Um, So that's the exciting part of like, Oh, I get to go focus on new and fun things because I have this amazing team that is now making it happen. Uh, It's that, that same thing. I mean, why would you, why are you a nonprofit if you hope you don't close your door someday because you fulfilled your mission? Nonprofits are supposed to go away because they fulfill their mission.
1: Absolutely. Otherwise are they effective? I love it. Thank you, Debbie. I want to change pace a little bit in part because you and I've had the chance to talk a lot about the personal toll that this work takes. How are you making sure that you can show up for your community long-term and sustainably? In other words, how do you make sure you don't burn out writing grant proposals in the week of submission and hiring people and just zipping across the valley? There is so much that's on your shoulders. And because you are so passionate, I do know there is a high risk of burning the candle on both ends so that there's nothing left. What do you do to make sure you can still wake up on Monday and be excited about the work and have the energy to give?
0: I didn't do anything for a while. So if you're an ecosystem builder listening to this and you feel you're at your wits end, that's okay. I was there for a very long time, but I started telling my mentors and people closest to me, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And so when I finally started voicing that concern uh, when I finally started voicing because everyone could tell I was done Um, Mm -hmm. they knew and so when I finally gave myself the permission to say I don't know if I can do this anymore is when I finally started making some of those changes so if you're at your wit's end and you want to quit and you don't want to do this anymore trust me I I know that I've been there numerous times Uh, there are days where I still feel that way and it's okay to fully accept that feeling but for me, what I started doing is taking classes, uh, learning about being burnout proof and and creating those boundaries for myself. I started mental health counseling at the very beginning of 2020. Uh, and I think that has been some of the most life-changing things. Um, I had a lot of things I still need to and have processed. I think the other big one for me too is understanding how I work. So I've like created my focus times and Uh, blocked off my calendar I am not a disciplined person if you look at my Gallup strengths and you do your 34 strengths or whatever discipline is number 34 for me (laughs) I suck I suck at consistency (laughs) and discipline it is not who I am but it's accepting and leveraging some of those strengths uh, but also saying hey I need to create the space for me Um, I built a porch swing because I really wanted to build something with my hands renovated a room in my house I have started prioritizing family things. So it's been a really long journey over the past four years. There are numerous people that have gotten phone calls from me of like, all right, my resignation letter's written, I'm getting ready to turn it in. And they're like, how about we not? (laughs) Let's hold on for a second. (laughs) Let's talk through why this is the case right now. So there's there's been really um, great people in my life who could tell when I was getting to that point uh, that I really needed to take a step back. Uh, And I think it's also, just genuinely changing expectations with those you work with. I've added a pretty strong worded thing to my email about how I only check email twice a day and my answers are short and to the point, mostly because I, I don't have time for fluff. Um, I think your children are wonderful and great, but I really don't want to know about them right now. Please just answer my question so we can move on. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think it's understanding that this is how I work This is who I am and being accepting of who I am. I still haven't fully realized my worth. I don't take breaks when it comes to winning big awards. I'm like, okay, we won. Let's go. Um, So also trying to get excited about what's been accomplished. I have never sat in what we've gotten done in the past three years. But it's kind of a big deal. And maybe I should, like, stop for a second and let it be a
1: big deal. It's a super big deal. I can't, I mean, the funding you have secured for your region, the capacity you've been able to ramp up in such a short amount of time are huge accomplishments and yes, as servant leaders and really ambitious people, it is so hard to sit for a minute and just take a bath in the joy that is accomplishment and serving other people. So that resonates very deeply. So to summarize, ecosystem builders, community builders, servant leaders who are starting to sense that maybe they can't keep going, what is your advice for them?
0: Tell someone. Find that person that you know will be honest with you. Don't go to your friend who's always like, no, you got it. You can do it. Like, find the person that you know is going to be honest with you. Uh, and so I found two of those individuals. One was my mental health counselor who was like, ha, let's really talk about this. Uh, and the other one was Larkin Garvey, who was like, mm, yeah, you should probably slow down here uh, or you should probably rethink this here. So it was finding those brutally honest people. So it's not just tell anyone It's tell the honest people that you Mm -hmm. can trust and know that they're looking out for your well-being, even if their answer is very hard to hear.
1: Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you, Debbie. In a field that is still so young, that doesn't have a century worth of academic research behind it and no textbooks yet. What does professional development look like? Where do you turn in order to up your game, both personally and professionally?
0: There's been quite a few organizations that I have done work with. Um, So like I mentioned earlier, Startup Champions Network. And then if you're a rural region, you can participate in the Rural Innovation Initiative with the Center on Rural Innovation. They take on between 10 and 15 communities a year to become a part of their rural innovation network. Um, so that's where I've learned a lot around the rural ecosystem building side. Um, some of it has come from other ecosystem building organizations. And so going and seeing our partners, we did what's called uh, what we're calling an ecosystem exchange tour. Uh, we went to another ecosystem. So we went to South Bend, Indiana, mm-hmm. uh, and met up with Grant Carlyle and his team and went talked to entrepreneurs from a different space that we knew nothing about. Uh, and that helped us learn and reframe our thinking a little bit about how we approach entrepreneurs in our own community. Um, and so that exchange of information has been really important as well. So I think for, for me, it's peer-to-peer learning has been the most uh, impactful for me. And then going to the SCN summits um, to see another ecosystem and do whiskey and war stories or whatever it's called. Um, <laughs> I like the whiskey part, let's be honest here. Yep. Um, It's those opportunities to step out of your own ecosystem and go somewhere else and say, you know what? I'm here to learn. I'm here to talk about my woes. And I'm here to see other people who also bang their heads against the wall sometimes because they just don't know how to do the next thing.
1: It's part group therapy, part professional development, and a whole lot of fun. I yeah. I do enjoy these summits and I got to shamelessly plug that the spring 2022 summit of the Startup Champions Network will actually take place just around the corner from here in Durham, North Carolina, and will be a great opportunity for anyone who is an emerging ecosystem builder or a seasoned veteran of the field to get together with ecosystem builders from all around the U.S. and learn from each other and really have that experience that you just described. I'm super excited. And I know that SCCF is going to roll pretty deep at that summit, which should be a super fun experience. Debbie, before we go through the rapid fire round of three questions, I do want to make sure that our listeners know where to find you and how to connect. On the internet, it's sccfva.org or Google the Shenandoah Community Capital Fund. People can find you on LinkedIn. SCCFVA is also on Instagram. So I'd say whoever wants to find you can find you and get in touch, especially now that the team is growing, there's a lot of people to reach out to and talk to. All right, the rapid fire round, three questions. I will start the sentence, you get to finish the sentence. Are you ready?
0: I think so, hopefully. All right,
1: number one, ecosystem building is
0: collaborating with other people and organizations in your community to lift up the entrepreneurs that exist around you.
1: An ecosystem builder everyone should know about is?
0: It's kind of a hidden gem that I just met not too long ago, and his name is Eric Engelman, and he's out of NuboCo in the state of Iowa. I, am, I have a work crush on him, and I am fully accepting of the fact that I have a new work crush on Eric Engelman.
1: I uh, can second that, plus plus five, Eric gave an incredible presentation at the last Startup Champions Network Summit about how they created their entrepreneurial ecosystem in a financially sustainable way and built an organization to carry that. And I agree, there's a lot to learn, wonderful. Uh, Last question, one resource, be it a book, a show, a podcast, an article, an organization, that influenced you that you would recommend to other ecosystem builders?
0: Okay, there's three, so I'm gonna go fast. Uh, first one I've talked about a ton, Startup Champions Network. Uh, if you are an ecosystem builder, an emerging ecosystem builder, I want to know what ecosystem building is, check them out. Number two, if you're a rural region, center on rural innovation, you need to check them out. They're really good at building digital ecosystems and rural ecosystems for rural regions. And then. Third is Annika Hort and Cliff Adventures. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And when I was talking earlier about the Burnout Proof Masterclass, it was actually Annika's class. And that was the one that started making me realize I need to prioritize myself. And yeah. I need to prioritize my own mental and physical well-being if I am going to at all survive in this world of ecosystem building.
1: Wonderful. Debbie, um, what a high note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> Got plug, to gotta plug Annika. This is wonderful. Debbie, I so appreciate you making the time to talk to us, to share your experience with us. And thank you for being on the show.
0: Most definitely. Absolutely loved it.
1: Be sure to find out more about Debbie's work at sccfva.org and find the Shenandoah Community Capital Fund on Instagram and Facebook. You can connect with Debbie through LinkedIn or go buy her a coffee in downtown Stanton, Virginia. I pay my respect to Eldo's past, present, and emerging. As traditional custodians of the land on which I work and live, I honor the Tuscarora, Shakori, Soponi, Okanichi, Lumbee, and Eno people. I recognize their continuing connection to land, water, and community. This episode was produced by Yellow House Media.